now in the third year of a series that we've called Living Simply, Giving Generously. And if you want to review the past years, the first year, if you recall, was simply for us to go through material, through biblical scripture, just to look at our lives to see how we could live more simply. And by doing so, that would free up resources so that we could be more generous. And that was the goal of the first year. And then the second year, last year, our goal as a church was to have all of our small group communities, particularly our home groups, to to pool their monies together and to donate to particular organizations or or, um, gospel ministers that the small group researched on their own. And by doing so, going through a process of understanding where our money can go and support the work of Jesus Christ. And then this year, our goal, the third year of the Living Simply, Giving Generously series, is that we would understand that it's more than just money. That money is a tool, but the money is one way where we can actually touch people. It's about relationships. It's about partnerships with organizations and with individuals who minister to others. And so that's our goal for this series, is to understand how we can leverage the resources that God has given to us. And later this morning, I will be introducing one of the organizations that we're going to be supporting this year through the Kingdom Fund. And Dr. James Lau will will be speaking on behalf of his foundation. And so we're going to talk to him a little bit later. But before that, I want us to focus on an issue that can actually prevent us, that can actually distract us, It actually can prevent us from being generous and even living simply. And that issue is worry. So I have a question. How many of you out there really are worriers? I mean, you're just going to be just like me. Before I was a Christian, I was a total basket case. I would worry about all kinds of stuff. And now, as a Christian, I wish I could tell you that I don't worry I probably just worry less. Uh, I still have these um, bad dreams that um, I'm back in college, and it's finals week, and and I'm realizing that I didn't go to any of the classes, which probably was true, and then I didn't open up the textbook, and it's finals day, and I got to take this exam. And in this dream, I'm wondering if I'm actually going to pass. So... I have to force myself in the middle of those dreams to wake up, and I sit there, and I have to logically, rationally tell myself, I am a doctor. I am a doctor. <laughs> so, so that means I've passed. But I still have those dreams, and usually it's because I'm under a lot of stress, and then I, I just worry about those things. And so in researching today, I, I looked up on the Internet some polls about the top five, like, you know, five, top five, top ten things people worry about, and I found this list. And the things I found on the list weren't very surprising. I mean, it's things that probably uh, we all think about and we all get, have concerns about. So what do you think some of those five things were? I mean, among, among them was we worry about our health. We worry about gaining weight. We worry about getting older. We worry about stress at work. And do you know what, actually among a lot of the list, what is the number one worry that everybody has? Yeah, it's money. 
It's money, which is not surprising. So I want us to look at the scripture, because if you're going to look at wise counsel, that's what the Bible's for and what God's word is for. And God tells us about things about worry and, in particular, also things about money. So I want us to look in the Bible at uh, Luke 12, and we're going to look specifically at verses 22 to 34. So I'm going to read those verses to you now. I'm sure if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, there's going to be probably projected on the screen. Luke 12. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will, be, will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's the word of the Lord. So here, from this scripture, if there's one thing that I want you to note, to take away, one thing to, re- to remember after this morning, that Jesus commands us, he gives us this command, do not worry. Pretty simple, three words, do not worry. And the context here, you have to realize, uh, the scripture verses right before these, in, in chapter 12 in Luke, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And actually, there's a large crowd around him too. But he specifically turns to his disciples because his disciples have chosen to follow him. They're going to be his so-called fans, right? They're going to be just like Jesus. And Jesus warns them, warns his disciples, that they were going to face a lot of persecution. And persecution, not just a lot of teasing, they're going to probably face a lot of torture, and probably even execution. And and Jesus tells them not to fear, not to be afraid. Don't be afraid of men who can just kill you physically, which is kind of a scary thought in itself. But Jesus tells them, don't be afraid of people who can kill you. He says, actually be afraid of a God that can kill you spiritually, that can send you to hell for an eternity. That's actually scarier than being physically killed. And so into this context, following Jesus meant probably giving up family, giving up home and possessions, giving up your professions. Because if you look at what those early, the first disciples that joined Jesus' band, they gave up family, possessions, and professions to follow him. 
And to this context, and the possibility of getting killed, and a lot of them were martyred, Jesus says, don't worry. Well, you know, today, a lot of us probably in America, in the United States, we're not going to really face persecution to the point where we're going to be executed. But we still worry about a lot of things. And worry, unfortunately, paralyzes us. It causes us to lose focus. It causes us to be distracted. And a lot of these things that we worry about often are good things. They can be good concerns. But they do take us away from what God wants us to focus on. What is the primary priority? And that is to build his kingdom. To make the kingdom of God a reality now and here. It takes us away from the commission that he has given us to make disciples. And if we believe that this command that Jesus gave to us to do not worry, like any other command, if we worry, then we are disobeying God. And when we disobey God, there's only one word for that, and that's sin. So it is a serious offense, according to Jesus, to not obey him and to worry. So it, if we are serious about pleasing God, pleasing Jesus, to be true Christians, then we should not worry. Not an easy thing to do, because as humans, I believe worry is just part of our nature. But Jesus tells us a few things, how we can not worry, how to deal with it. And the first thing that the scripture says here, it says that, that Jesus wants us to not worry by trusting God to know and provide for our needs. Now, if you look at the passage that I, I just read for you, about more than half of the verses, about two-thirds of the verses, is talking about birds and flowers. And um, it's kind of interesting that Jesus chooses these examples from nature to talk to men and women about worry. He says, you know, flowers don't dress themselves and their, their splendor is much better than what Solomon could ever imitate. And then he talks about ravens and about these birds that, that get fed and they don't have to worry about the food they're going to eat. And this is supposed to apply to men. And, and the choice of ravens is kind of interesting, too, is that uh, today I don't think we appreciate the context of that. Um, I think a couple of weeks ago I was talking about dogs, right? Dogs in the Jewish community is not a really high-level uh, animal. It's uh, kind of thought of as being dirty and, and very low and uh, low status. So that anything compared to a dog would be bad. So same thing here. Jesus is choosing ravens. And ravens are considered scavenger birds. So they're also dirty, low status. And, and to compare them that if God will actually take care of a raven, won't he take care of people, men and women, even more so? So that was the impact of, supposedly the impact of that, that comparison, that if God will take care of ravens, won't he take care of men and women, who is much higher, much higher on, on the totem pole of the creative story. 
creation story. But here, if we look at those, literally those two things that, that, that God and Jesus is talking about here with the ravens and the, and the flowers, it's talking about clothing and food. So here, the scripture is saying that God will provide clothing and food for you and not to worry about that. And essentially, if we look at it in our own lives, where does clothing and food rank in our so-called needs spectrum? I would say they're pretty necessary, but they're also pretty basic. And essentially, the principle, I think, here to, 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 to glean from this is that we should trust that God will take care of our basic needs. That it, as simple as food and clothing those will be provided for. Now, we live in, 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 in America. And I have to be honest, I, I have never been hungry or I've never had any clothes on since birth. That's not an experience that I've had. And, and realistically, at this point in my life, I don't think I will ever um, go hungry or have no clothes. And I'm not being boastful, but I think I'm just being realistic here. Is it possible? Yes, anything is possible, but probably not going to happen. And so just given that context, and I'm looking at those out in this room, I don't know if any of you will ever experience that in your lifetime. So what God is saying here, if that's all we need, then there's nothing to worry about that if our basic needs are to be trusted with God, there is no need to worry about that. And of course, we're a great community. If any of us needed to be fed or have clothes, wouldn't we do that for each other? I would hope so. But a lot of times, we have other needs. And, and that, I don't know if God's promising those things. And here he's just talking about basic needs. And there is a difference that, that we have to realize, that there are differences between what it, we need and what we desire. God only says he will take care of your needs. And I would consider that very basic needs. But he won't be taking care of all your desires. And one of the things that, that, that we often call our needs, I think they're sometimes extras. If we really had to examine some of the things that we have and things we want, they're not really things we really need. And, and that's a challenge that a lot of times a lot of us are chasing after things that we think we need. And when we chase after these things, these things will distract us. They will take our focus off of the primary um, mission or calling or, or purpose that God has for us. And when we do that... We, we lose out on what God has best intended for us. And the scripture here in verse 30 says, For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. So it's not to say that some of the things that we chase after aren't good things, and things that can be blessings, things that God actually wants you to do. But he, the scripture is clear here, don't chase after them. Don't, don't focus on them. Focus on the primary and the scripture will tell us that actually God knows those things that you will need. 
things that he will bless you with and that he will actually give to you if you don't have your mind totally focused on that, but focused on the primary, and those things will be added to you. They will be given to you. So my question for some of us this morning is to look at our lives, examine them, and in the spirit of this Living Simply, Giving Generously uh, series, that you would look at your lives, look at how uh, you live, and just to look at what do you consider the basic needs and to learn to understand can you be content with just those basic needs? Because out of contentment, trusting God to provide will then allow you to be used in a more powerful way of fulfilling the gospel. So if we are not too worried by first trusting God to provide for our basic needs, the second thing these scriptures say is that we should not worry if we seek after the kingdom of God, where his will be, will be done. Verse 31 says, But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. If we examine all the topics that Jesus talks about through the Gospels, there are two main things that, that he talks about. The primary one that, that, that Jesus talks about constantly is the kingdom of God. And the second thing that Jesus talks about and teaches on is money. And so here in one passage, it actually deals with those two subjects, about money and the kingdom of God. And here's a question I have for all of you. A lot of times if I ask people, what is the kingdom of God? There's a blank look. I mean, it's a word that's thrown out in Scripture all over the place. But if you actually ask somebody, what is the kingdom of God? People don't really have a good answer. So I ask you that question. What is the kingdom of God? Well, the Scripture is clear. When Jesus first came, and even in Mark, I believe it's Mark 1, Jesus, first thing he says to his disciples, uh, he tells them that the kingdom of God is here now. That is good news, so repent and believe. So essentially, in that scripture verses, he's saying that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that the kingdom of God is here now. That, that as followers of Jesus, we are the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not something that's way in the future. It isn't here and now. The Lord's Prayer, right, says, let your will be done here as it is in heaven. So that's a hint that the kingdom of God being here and now means that it is wherever God is and wherever God's people are following his will. Where God's people are obedient and following his will, that is where the kingdom of God is. So when we spread the gospel, we are bringing the kingdom of God to other places. And when we are following God's will, we are establishing the kingdom of God. And what is God's will? That was a question that one of the teachers of the law asked Jesus. And Jesus said, the greatest commandments are love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is to Love your neighbor. 
to love others just as yourself. That's the basic, real simple understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to obey God, to follow his will, is basically love God, love others. Verse 33 even says how we are supposed to do that, how to love others. It says there, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Not something that we should be surprised by. It's a, it's a principle. It's actually a, or a command that's seen throughout the New Testament, even in Old Testament, throughout the Bible, taking care of the poor, taking care of the widowed, the orphaned, taking care of those that are marginalized, those who are persecuted. It's very consistent. So to follow God's will to love others is to sell our possessions and give to the poor. That's what all of us should model in our lives. This past Christmas, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I shared a story right before Christmas that, that I had a patient who, who told me they can pay for the denture, right? And I said, sure, uh, you can have the denture, just pay me when you can. And she was so happy to, to receive the dentures, even though she couldn't pay me. But she said, you know, these, these dentures, she was looking at them herself in the mirror. She lost all her teeth in the front. She said, you know, I haven't had teeth in a long time, and I couldn't smile for a long time. And she just stopped, started to cry and got emotional, and she just said, God bless you. And that's the point of being a Christian is to be able to make an impact in other people's lives. Does it cost us? Sure. But that's what Jesus wants us to do. The other, I think last week, maybe it was two weeks ago, we had fellowship. And a lot of times, one of the things our church does, you know, we're going through church budgets right now. And uh, I, I oversee the hospitality and we're looking, I'm looking at, we spend a lot of money on food. <laughs> but that's a value because our church, we love to eat. But it's important to know that other people that, that come to our church who are not necessarily regular people. We have street people, street guests who come. And this one particular Sunday, a street person came and was uh, enjoying our, our refreshments after service. And it, it struck me as I overheard what he said. He said, you know, I came and you're helping me to survive. He was gathering food from the from our, our refreshment tables. And for us, these are just kind of, you know, extras. But for this gentleman who's coming off the street, he said, this is helping me to survive. So by extension, if that's how we spend our money for food and it helps somebody like them, then it's worth it. And, and our church office, you know, we, we have an office in El Cerrito, right? And we have people who come and visit us there, and some of our staff members actually minister more than the pastors to some of the folks out there. And there is a woman, a single mom, who had two teenage kids, and then she wanted to give a Christmas dinner for her kids, and she didn't have money for it. And the uh, word came up to us, and I just said, I'll take care of it. You know, why bother going through the church's uh, protocols and stuff, I'll just take care of it. But just a simple act like that will 
bless somebody else. And that's what God wants us to do with those who have those kind of resources. We have to do those things. I mean, we're mandated to do those things. We're commanded to do those things. And it's not the big things. It's even just those little things that will make a difference for the kingdom. So I have a question for all of you to, to think about, to reflect on. Does your lifestyle reflect kingdom living? Does your lifestyle follow this, this command of Jesus to sell your possessions and give to the poor? Because by doing so, you will be doing God's will. The third thing I want us to look at from these scriptures that will help us not to worry is to have our hearts in the right place. And that right place is to be in heaven. Verse 33 says, A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So a question for all of you this morning. Where is your treasures? Where are your treasures? Because where your treasures are, that is where your heart will be. I have a good friend. He was actually one of my college roommates, uh, one of my first college roommates when I was at Cal Berkeley in the dormitories. A brilliant guy. He double majored in uh, math and physics. uh, and, And he was just super intelligent could do anything. I mean, he became an engineer, he became a programmer, he became a financier, he became an accountant, a, C- a controller. He, did, he could do anything he wanted in life. He was that, that smart, that capable. And so he was in between jobs, and it wasn't because he got laid off or anything. He just couldn't sit still. He could do something, and then he would jump on it. So in between ventures, he uh, became a day trader. He, he was in the stock, played the stock market. He was very good at it. He made a lot of money in that. But he, he told me that when he was day trading for a short period of time in his life, you know, it was great because he said he could stay at home. And he said, yeah, he would be in his underwear, sitting in front of his computer's, computer screen, and he would be just playing the market. And essentially, it was actually gambling, right? Because he was just buying, selling very quick sales to make very, you know, he's investing a lot of money and making in those little increments that the stock changes when it goes up, he would sell, and then he could make you know thousands and thousands of dollars because he was that good at it, and and he was uh, playing a game like that. And but he told me that was something that was insightful. That when he was day trading, he was so uh, stressed that because he had all a lot of his money in the stock market, and that he would be sitting in that screen, and he he, he would just said it, it would just almost paralyze him because he's just watching these little movements and just timing things and and he said it took a lot out of him so he said he had to uh, he enjoyed it made a lot of money in it but he said he had to get out of it real quick because he said which was kind of funny i got to get a a day job i got to get a regular job because it's a lot easier it's a little more steady (laughs) so uh for him he could do day trading and you know work a few hours and then then go do something else but he said that's too stressful but that's where his money was, and that's where his heart was. Last week, there was a, a, a big football game that, that was important for the, us local folks here. Actually, there's a big game this afternoon. And I know a lot of you have your hearts with this particular team, because during service, I know a lot of you were <coughs> looking at your smartphones and picking up on the score during service. 
So that's an example, too, if your heart is in certain things, which can be good. I mean, whether it's family or health, uh, sports, hobbies, they can distract us, take our focus off, take our eyes off of the main thing of what God wants us to do and what Jesus wants us to do. So it's not about just money. It can be some of these other good things that, that we have in our life. They could be about our health, our families, our work. But God calls these things idols if they take us away from the main point. And the main point is to extend the gospel. And so how do you know if your heart is in heaven? In my experience, in my journey with Jesus, I've come to a place to realize that my time here on earth is only temporary. That I was not created to be here on earth. It is to be in a place where I'm at at the feet of Jesus and with God for an eternity. And then with that perspective, that my time here is short. And that becomes a reality um, each day for me. And, uh, and I've come to a place where I know my heart is in heaven when I begin now to long to be in heaven. That, that you know, I've seen much here in the world, and, and I'm thankful for that. But I have come to a place that I believe that the heaven is going to be a so much better place. That the promise of God that there will be no more suffering and that there will be no more tears will be a reality one day for me. In a couple of months, I'll be celebrating another birthday. You know, it's one of those things that comes up every year. And uh, I'm getting closer to, to 60. And, and when I think about that, I have, you know, if I go with the statistics, I have maybe, uh, for, you know, a male, maybe no more than 20 more years of life. And, and for some of you, you know, sort of young folks, 20 years is a long time. But for an older person, 20 years is going to go by really quick. And, and when that happens, uh, you know, being a healthcare provider, right, I, I've seen people age. And I know what happens to the body. And, and remember, I said I worry. And so when I, th- I think about those things, it, it's not good. <laughs> it, when you get older, I mean, all kinds of things happen. And, and you know, there's the, this uh, saying among us, and a lot of us uh, that are in healthcare, you know, if you live long enough, you're going to get cancer or something, right? Or either you, your organs break down or you're going to get cancer. I mean, those are the two ways that you're going to essentially die is your heart gives out because it's worn out or some other organ gives out and you, it fails you or you develop cancer. Uh, unless you... Uh, actually, there's another way I guess you could do it. It's by accident. Something just runs you over. Okay. <laughs> but, the, you know, there's, the, if you think of those things, I'm pretty, being pretty uh, uh, graphic here, but that's essentially what we all have to look forward to. <laughs> so isn't it better? So that's why I've come to a place to say that I actually long to be in heaven. Because that means it's done. But then I get to be with eternity with a God who loves me dearly. I am coming to a place where I understand what the Apostle Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That while I'm here, I'll do the most I can for Jesus Christ. 
And that when I die, when, it's, when the expiration date comes, I will be with Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to call up Dr. Lau to, to share about the ministry he started. A man who I, I've read and seen and heard from others who is a man who is living kingdom life. A man who is building treasures in heaven, in heaven by serving the poor. But before that, I want to show us a, a video, a video clip about his foundation, one of the uh, organizations that our Kingdom Fund will be supporting this year. I have to give a little bit of a warning. Um, it's a little graphic for some of you, uh, so it could be a little disturbing. Uh, I don't see any children here. So if there are, you may want to uh, advise your children. Some images of before and after surgeries can be a little bit stark. So let's play the video, and, and I'll call up Dr. James now.
Dr. James Lana, we come up. Why don't we give him a warm welcome as he shares with us. Well, good morning. Hi, welcome. Good morning. I want you first to ask, can you tell us a little bit about yourself so that our congregation can learn? Okay. First of all, uh, let me, on behalf of the board members and uh, uh, co-workers in his foundation, uh, thank you, uh, the Christian Layman Church, for inviting me uh, to be here today to share with you the vision and the works of his foundation. Uh, back to about your question about myself, I was born and raised in Hong Kong. I'm a medical graduate from the University of Hong Kong. Uh, I had my uh, orthopedic training in Hong Kong and England, and after that I came to this country, had further training in orthopedic, and uh, I'm a board-certified orthopedic surgeon, and uh, currently I'm working uh, full-time uh, in Kaiser Permanente, and uh, my office is in Anaheim, uh, California. And uh, I am married. This is my, my wife, Shirley. Can you stand up and say hello? Okay. And then uh, I have three adult children. They are 24, 21, and 20. Okay. okay. And uh, obviously, you, you are a follower of Jesus. So maybe you can share a little bit how your faith journey has come to be, um, how you came to know Jesus and accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Uh, I was saved and baptized when I was in medical school. And uh, uh, unlike somebody who has some dramatic event happen in life that, uh, that bring, uh, brought them to, to Jesus, uh, uh, that didn't happen to me. Uh, but I become a seeker. Uh, actually, I, I looked into different faiths. And that's something I, I decided to do when I first entered medical school. I think religion is such... Uh, in, an important topic uh, in life. Then I want to sort this out when I was in medical school. That means I was sorted it out uh, to see if religion makes sense to me, and if it does, uh, will I be a, a, a believer of Christianity, uh, uh, Buddhism, or whatever. So it, it is through uh, this uh, mentality that I try to contact different types of religions and I, I uh, read about them. I, I uh, follow my friends who had a different type of faith uh, to their meetings. And basically, um, I come to the conclusion uh, that really Christianity is what I believe in. Of course, at the end, there's still a leap of faith that I, I cannot answer all the things, get all the answers uh, for my question, but uh, there was still a leap of faith at the end that I believe that uh, uh, I want to be a Christian. I believe in Christianity. I believe in Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Then, then having made this, uh, this uh, transformation and this acceptance of, of Jesus uh, into your life, how have you lived out your faith with your profession? Yes. That is a huge thing. Being a Christian, that means... That will change my world view. With the change in the world view, it changes almost everything. It changes everything. Okay, I think that's the basic. Okay, I cannot be a follower of Christ and without a, a, a real Christian world view. And I think you touched on a lot of things that I thought about before when you did your sermon. Now, um, I think it's God's blessing that I become an orthopedic surgeon. And he gave me this gift that I can use to treat 
many patients. My subspecialty is pediatric orthopedic. I treat a lot of children. And I see a lot of handicapped children. And uh, I enjoy treating them and make them uh, walk better and live better. I also know that this gift is really for me to be used in this life. When in future, when I'm in heaven, what, what do they need the orthopedic surgeon to do in heaven? <laughs> Nothing I can do, okay? So I'm going to maximize my gift in this life. And I want to be a follower of Christ to use my skill to help people. So my vocation uh, become my ministry, mm. okay? And I want to do more than just my own job. So I, I, that's why I'm interested uh, in different type of Christian ministry, especially ministry related to healing. And, um, and I think actually I'm building treasure in, in future, mm-hmm. uh, in heaven. And I think that is valuable. Whatever I have in, in this world, I really can't bring it uh, to heaven. But the service to Christ is a treasure that will last forever, mm. I think. So uh, that is the basic mentality I have, and that's why I love to do a Christian ministry. And um, uh, not like pastor, you can preach very well. I, I cannot preach very well. So I use my skill, my medical skill, and uh, to, to help people. And that's what I want to do. And then... Um, uh one of the organizations that our church will be supporting this year is his foundation and i don't know if you if you've been informed but our church is going to support you uh your foundation with ten thousand dollars this year and and we'll be passing along the check to you actually this morning um can you tell us share with us a little bit about his foundation um what the acronym actually uh stands for and how you felt God called you to, to start this, this okay. ministry? Uh, strictly speaking, I didn't start the His Foundation. The His Foundation started in 1991 um, uh, by a, uh, uh, a Christian couple. Actually, they are the senior pastor in the, Chinese, uh, in the uh, Baptist church in Taiwan, in Hong Kong. And, but but, but we, are, we are acquaintance. What happened in 1991 is that at that, that year, there is a big flood in the eastern part of China. And, uh, um, and, and what we were trying to do at that time was try to raise funds in Hong Kong and U.S. to try to help the flood victims. And then uh, one thing led to another. After raising funds for, for, for the victims, we raised funds to rebuild a, a, a clinic, the rural clinic that were damaged during the flood. And during this time, we have a, a very good working relationship with the Red Cross uh, in China. And, uh, uh, and eventually, it, we gradually developed into um, a medical ministry because we found a lot of uh, a Christian uh, medical professionals were interested in our work. And so we started some, some teaching ministry, uh, teaching the, of the med- medical professionals. And then we started that we may want to actually do some healing ministry, and so oh, in uh, 95, 1995, we started a uh, short-term mission. And I, I like that idea. It started in Hong Kong, and so I borrowed the whole idea. And then uh, the organization was initially incorporated as a non-profit organization in Hong Kong. So I borrowed the whole idea, bring it back to U.S., because I know there are lots of medical professionals in, in U.S. So I incorporate the organization as a 50C1 uh, non-profit organization in U.S., and then start recruiting volunteers and raising funds. And, uh, and I also borrowed that idea, and, and I 
went to Australia, Sydney, Australia, and recruited a, a, a quite a, a large group of uh, uh, volunteers there as well. So I, I, I didn't, I wasn't the, the in, uh, initial founder of the organization, but I liked the idea because I was involved uh, with the uh, Christian couple from the beginning, and I liked, liked what they do, and I borrowed the idea and started it uh, in US. Mm. And, um, and I'm very excited that uh, your church uh, uh, choose our foundation and uh, decide to support our, our foundation. Yeah, yeah uh, the, the, the foundation actually has a lot of different, uh, uh, I guess, arms, and they do different yes. things. And, and the funds that we're uh, giving to his foundation will be uh, used primarily for, um, I believe, pediatric surgeries, and uh, or wheelchair. other chairs and the wheelchairs. Yeah. And actually, can you talk about that? Yes. The wheelchair, as you know, as a, a dentist and kind of a gadget guy, it's, <laughs> it's really mind-boggling. Actually, how how innovative they came up with very simple and easy wheelchairs that can be constructed. So yeah, okay. Basic, basically, uh, our uh, in his foundation, medical work is our main main work. Okay, I do we do have education ministry and other ministry, but edu- um, uh, healthcare and medical work is my main work. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. Now, orthopedic deal a lot with mobility. Mobility. If you think about, if people like to enjoy life uh, richly, mobility is really important. Say, if you cannot go from point A to point B. Uh, um, that take away a lot of joy from your life, okay? Now, orthopedic surgeon take care of many people who cannot uh, walk well, who cannot uh, get around well. So we do surgery to fix their deformed feet, to uh, to help them to stand up better and walk better. But every time when I go to China, I usually go every time I go for two weeks. And uh, uh, when you take away the traveling time, the operating day that I have is about nine days, uh, almost maximum. And then in nine days, even I work morning till night, there's only a limited number of uh, patients I can help. Roughly about 40 patients or so, 40 patients I can do. And many of these patients had complicated surgery, and a lot of them had more than one surgery. So on average, each patient had two surgeries. Uh, one on the left foot, the other on the left, right foot, something like that. So, so a few years ago, I'm thinking, uh, yeah, it's good that surgery can help a lot of people, but it can only help a limited number of people. And there are people who cannot undergo surgery for various reasons. And so the other thing that uh, I feel sad when I'm, uh, uh, I'm in China is that I see a lot of people crawling around in, on, uh, on the floor, on the ground. I don't see that in Hong Kong. I don't see that in the U.S. And the difference that these people have to crawl around in China and not in U.S. is because there is a wheelchair. A handicapped patient who cannot walk well, if you give him a wheelchair, he can sit on a wheelchair. It's a much more dignified way to, to, uh, uh, to live, to be able to sit properly rather than crawl around. Okay. And therefore, I, I, I come up with the idea uh, with wheelchair donation. I contact a lot of the other uh, ministry who specialize in wheelchair donation. And uh, some are, uh, are willing to work with me to, to do wheelchair donation. But eventually, yeah, I, I found an organization I really love, and, uh, and there's a free wheelchair mission. And they are, uh, the headquarters is in Orange County in Irvine, which is very close to where I work. And I, 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 I uh, have uh, many conversations with the founder. And the most important thing is I found that they manufactured the wheelchair in China. And because of that, 
I can easily get the wheelchair without having to ship in to China. Shipping something into China is, can be a hassle. They can put a tax on it and have to go through custom. And so since 2006, uh, I, I started organizing wheelchair teams. And these wheelchair teams are the volunteers that can come from Hong Kong, US, or Australia. Uh, the wheelchair, when they come from the uh, factory, is unassembled. So I need someone to assemble the wheelchair, and I want to make sure it's QC, it's quality control, uh, make sure each wheelchair is well, well assembled. Uh, for example, I, I didn't know about it. I found out a wheelchair. Frequently, the, the wheel on the left side can spin off, come off, because of the way the screw is tightened. I never know about this until this happened. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, there are some minor technical detail uh, that, uh, uh, that we need to pay attention to, and I need someone to make sure these wheelchairs are well assembled and will be distributed. So that's the, the whole, whole uh, uh, beginning of our wheelchair ministry, which we started in 2006. And, and up to last year, we have already donated 13,000 wheelchairs to different parts of China. And I think that will have a, a, a very good impact on many of the handicapped people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, I, I don't know if there were some pictures in the video. Of it. If, you, if you notice, the, the wheelchairs are assembled, actually, I think the bicycle uh, tires. They're like mountain bike tires. And, yes. and it's essentially a lawn chair, a plastic lawn chair that's pushed into a fabricated uh, cage uh, body system. So that's kind of interesting how it's basic, simple things that can be found and manufactured in China and not take a lot of technical uh, skill to, to put together. And, and that's kind of a cool, innovative thing that actually really helps. And I think they're costed $70 each. Yeah. Initially, it was cost like less than $40 when I first started ministry. Uh, things gone up a lot in China. And, and that $70 actually included shipping. Mm -hmm. So, so um, and right now, that, what we saw on the video is the first generation wheelchair. Sure. Now they come up with the second and the third generation, a little bit more sophisticated, more sturdy. And, uh, uh, and so oh, oh, it, it, the cost come up a little bit. But uh, just think about it just for $60, $70. And, uh, someone uh, can, can, can sit properly in a wheelchair and move from point A to point B is a much more dignified way uh, to get a lot, get a, a go around in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There yeah, so the, <clears throat> I think the, the design was, was it from a woman from MIT? Yes, uh, the founder uh, is an uh, uh, engineer, uh, is a PhD from um, uh, MIT. Yes, yeah. so some of you uh, engineer types out there, there is uh, good uses of your skill in designing such things as wheelchairs. Besides the, the, the funds that we're going to give to you uh, from our church, is there any other way that um, our congregation, our people as individuals, as a church, can uh, continue to partner with you in, 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 your, in yes. your work? There are basically three ways that you can help us or partner with us. First of all, uh, we need prayer. Uh, prayer support, I think, is very important. Uh, every time when we go to a short-term mission, I think it's a, a spiritual battle. There are so many uncertainty. Yeah, in, in the mission field, for example, sometimes I can be doing surgery in the hospital and suddenly the electricity went out, okay? So all my power tools were gone and I have to rely on the hand tool to do it with my job. And uh, when we do the uh, wheelchair distribution, uh, uh, the, the team has a very tight schedule. They have only less, uh, just one week maximum uh, and to assemble and distribute 550 wheelchair. Uh, maybe they have to also have to go to 
uh, two or three cities. So we are running very tight on our schedule and, and there are a lot of uncertainty. So I think a press support is most important. The second is uh, uh, human resources, volunteers. Uh, we always need volunteers and I know there are many professionals among your, uh, your church members. Uh, if you are a medical professional, uh, is, uh, you may like to consider uh, joining some of our short-term medical teams. Uh, and uh, for example, uh, nurses. Uh, we always need nurses. Uh, we need nurses uh, uh, to, to work in the operating room. We need nurses to work in the ward. Physical therapists, uh, uh, we have many uh, orthopedic teams and, and rehabilitation team. Both type of team need a lot of uh, therapists. And anesthesiologists, because so many of our teams are surgical teams, so anesthesiologists, you always, uh, it's very easy to join a team. So, so there are many medical professionals that can join us. And um, wheelchair, wheelchair assembly, um, although there are some technicality to it, uh, but really it's not that difficult. And we have an uh, 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 engineer, we have uh, enge uh, other people who are uh, real, uh, familiar with the assembly of the wheelchair. So if, if, uh, 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 if someone is willing, uh, you really don't need any special skill as long as you are willing to work uh, uh, hard and sometimes you have to work uh, outdoor, uh, maybe under the sun, depending on the situation. Sometimes you can work indoor, and um, uh, it will be a very interesting thing to do uh, to come and uh, uh, spend a week with other uh, Christian brother and sister, uh, assemble several hundred wheelchairs and, uh, and distribute them. And uh, uh, sometimes you bring it to a patient's home, sometimes you distribute them in, in a ceremony, just like what was shown on, on the video. So I think these are uh, the, uh, the uh, two things, the prayer, the volunteer, and also the financial support. Uh, these three things will be uh, things that uh, your church can, can help us. All right, thank you. Okay. If you have more questions or you'd like to talk to Dr. James, uh, he'll be uh, here after service, so you can come up and, and talk to him and hear more about the work he's doing and if you'd like to support him either in those three particular areas. So why don't we thank him for sharing. Thank you. One of the stories that uh, my wife Terry, who had, had lunch with Dr. James yesterday, was the whole thing about human dignity and, and about wheelchairs. And there was one uh, story that struck my mind uh, uh, powerfully was when they were delivering this uh, uh, wheelchair to a, a young man's family, a, a young handicapped man, and and, and his, he was taken care of by his by his elderly mother. But when they went to to lift him to put him into the wheelchair, they realized he had this very bad odor and smell. And essentially, he was soiling his, his pants because he, he could not go from point A to point B, being going from point A to the bathroom on his own. And, and now, with a wheelchair, he can actually now move himself to go to the bathroom. So things like that, that we take for granted, these simple things that gives us dignity in life, that... A, that a, a simple thing as a wheelchair, a $70 wheelchair, will now allow him to do that, improves his quality of life and giving him dignity. And as Christians, that is essentially one of the things that God wants us to do. Jesus wants us to bring wholeness to other people. And part of that wholeness is to bring back dignity to them, who, unfortunately, because of our biases, by our 
values, our standards that often our society will marginalize people, put them in places where we don't have to see them. But that is unfortunately a way of not bringing up their dignity or honoring them. Corey Tenboom has this, this, this quote that, I'm, that I love. She says, and Corey Tenboom is a, a woman who, who, who suffered during the Holocaust of World War II. She says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. So essentially, worry is something that saps us. It takes our strength. It paralyzes us. And that is not good. It can physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually destroy us. So Jesus warns us. He commands us, do not worry. And we can do that by trusting God to provide, to live kingdom living, and to have treasures in heaven so that our hearts will not be divided. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a loving God, one who, who knows what's best for us. So those who have walked with you for a long time, we understand that life can be hard and that a life without Jesus would be meaningless. We ask, Lord, that you continue to help us to understand what contentment is, Through that, we will not then worry about the trivial things, but to keep our eyes on the mission that you have given to us, and that is to love you and to love others with all of our heart. So we thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus, who made it possible by going to the cross. But most importantly, three days after he died, he rose again so that we may be reconciled to your family, that we may also have eternal life through him. So I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.